it's great to see everyone back this afternoon. And I mentioned when I opened up in the morning that I had a sports analogy and also had a sports analogy for this afternoon. That wasn't actually planned, but I don't have just talk about sports, believe it or not. Even though I do like sports and religion, my two favorite things to talk about. But going back to my childhood, I played on a lot of different teams. And when I was in high school, my junior year in high school, during football season, we had a really good team. And it's just one of those things. We're a small school, public school, so you don't have a good team just about every year. Just usually it kind of comes together. Well, it was one of those years where we had the right group of kids and the right plan, and we had a great season. And we were playing at that time in San Diego, um, we were playing a ranked team. And for a small school, you don't get a chance to play a ranked team very often. So we were all excited for the game. And long story short, the game started. We were playing great. They didn't know what hit them. Um, it was really cold that day. We kind of played in the mountains, and they were from the desert, so they didn't really have a chance weather-wise. And the end of the game, it was 34 to nothing. We won. So we were feeling pretty good about ourselves. And we were going into the last couple weeks of the season. We were undefeated. And we were playing, at that time, the third-place team in our league. And, of course, as the team that's the top dog, you start um, kind of smelling yourself is what they say. And we said, well, you know, we're probably going to win this game, and we're going to go on to probably have an undefeated season. Well, it was one of those days where it was really hot, unusually hot. Um, we weren't really used to that. We, didn't, we weren't ready to play. We weren't excited. We weren't uh, pumped up. And it was a close game all the way down to the end, and they ended up scoring in the fourth quarter, and they won the game by a touchdown. And, of course, we were heartbroken as teenagers. We lost the big game. And back in the locker room, um, people were crying. They were hitting the walls. And why? Why did we lose? And I was never really that type of person, but I was pretty small on my team, so I didn't say anything. I didn't want to, why are you guys crying? I just kept my mouth shut. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, why are all these big giant guys are crying in the corner? And I was like, it's just a game, guys. But of course, that's teenage years and testosterone and all that. Well, they were crying and they were upset because they expected to win. Like, we, we had this great season. We, were gonna, we could go undefeated, and we lost. And now they're really upset, and they expected to win. Well, also, I played on some really bad teams in my life, especially when I played soccer. Uh, soccer was new to our area when I started, and... A lot of the, the league around us, a lot of the kids have been playing since they were little kids, five years old. We all started when we were like 10 or 11. So none of us knew how to play. And if you're not that familiar with soccer, generally a good game in the pros is two to one, you know, one to nothing, zero, zero sometimes, three to one. We lost every single game 12 nothing, 14 nothing. If we got the ball past halfway midfield, we were like, oh, that was a good possession. That's great. Or if we even got a chance to score, if we even took a shot, that was like, okay, that was a big deal. And I think we may have scored like five goals the whole season. But you know what's interesting about those teams? After the game, nobody was crying. Nobody was upset. 
We were laughing, having a good time. We'd go out and get ice cream, or we'd go to Carl's Jr. or something. Why was that? Why, why, why was that? We expected to lose. We knew we were going to lose, so why be upset about it? Why would we be upset when we knew it was already going to happen? Here, my other, other team, we lost a close game, and everybody was crying because they expected to win. They were upset. Now here, I have these kind of two, two positions that people take. And I'm only going to contend this morning that sometimes in the church, we can be like my soccer team. Is that we expect to lose to the world. We see the world around us is wicked and evil. And we see maybe, I'm not familiar with this area as well, but at least in El Cajon, where I live, we're surrounded by these mega churches where they have, you know, you may have heard of Daniel Jeremiah, uh, the televangelist. He's three miles from our building. We have uh, the Rock Church. I don't know if you've heard of that one, um, where I, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head, but he's on TV as well. And then we have Foothills, they're crying across the street, and they have a whole block of buildings all surrounded surrounding us. And I feel sometimes at the church is that we expect people not to be interested. We expect people not to come to worship. We expect people to reject our message. And I would like to say that we should not think that way or feel that way. If you truly believe that God is on your side, that means you're on the winning side. God does not want us to have a losing mentality, that we are powerless, that we don't have ability to convert people, that we don't have ability to bring the gospel to people. This afternoon, I want us to think that we can win souls for Christ, even this day and age, in this time, in this state, in this city. People can turn to Christ if we follow God's word and we trust in it. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins, who is wise wins souls. Brothers, sisters, we are in a battle between Satan and us. Battle over souls. In verse 4 of 1 John chapter 3, John tells us, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has ever seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason of the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Notice here at the very end, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of of the devil. Now I admit, I don't often think about that. I often think about Jesus coming as, as giving us guidance, as giving us a way of life, and ultimately dying 
for our sins on the cross, which is absolutely right. But do we often think about Jesus also came to destroy the devil, to overcome him, to put him in his place? That's exactly what he did. Jesus overcame him. The devil tempted him. He came to him. He threw everything he had at him. And he, the devil thought he won when he was, Jesus was crucified. But Jesus was resurrected, and the devil was defeated. Do you realize that you are on the winning side today? Why should we feel defeated? Well, we shouldn't. Now, I realize it's hard to convert people. I realize that it's not easy when people say no, and we can get down. And sometimes congregations get smaller. But that's, that's not the case everywhere. That's not the case at all times. Partly, it's because of us we lose hope. We stopped working. We stopped asking our neighbors. We stopped getting, being involved in the evangelism of the church. Well, there is a battle going on over our souls, and we have to consider that. If we're not reaching out to those in sin, if we're not reaching out to the lost, they can potentially lose their soul. There's going to be a great separation. We read about it. Jesus explains in Matthew 25, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Jesus is coming to return. He is coming to fulfill his mission, and that is going to bring all of us into judgment. And what's going to be an account is everyone's soul, how they lived, how they, whether they became a Christian or whether they stayed in the way of the world. Well, the sheep on the right, I realize I probably should have put this backwards, <clears throat> make a lot more sense. The sheep on the right, then the king will say to those on his right, come, who you are blessed on my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And on the goats on the left, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There are people that we know, people that we talk to, people that we love that are going to be on the left with the goats. God has given us the gospel of salvation. Now, if you truly care about your neighbor, your family member, your, your co-worker, why don't we share the message of saving grace of Jesus Christ? We have a role to play. In James chapter 5, we read, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. God wants us to have compassion on those who've wandered away from the truth. I realize today that we can get so caught up in our own little world. And I know I do this. Is that we're focused on, we wake up, we're, we're getting ready for work, we're getting the kids ready for school. We were thinking about what we have to do that day, maybe already thinking about what we have to do in the afternoon, what we have to do for dinner, getting that ready. Then we either we go to work, we, we go to school, we have to we have responsibilities in the daytime. 
We get home after you know, a long day. Maybe there's some time to unwind, and then you have to go right back into chores and taking care of kids or maybe visiting family or maybe you have someone sick in the hospital. There's a lot of things to do in a day. But do we consider that there are people who are lost that need help to find their way? Well, the reality is it doesn't take much to encourage someone. I can send a two-sentence text in about 10 seconds, especially now that I can talk right into my phone and say, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. And they say, oh, wow, thanks. I haven't seen you in a while either. You know, we still have, we can still write cards the old-fashioned way. We can send emails. We can call. We can send a text to check in on people that have wandered away. We need to value their soul. I know we can get caught up in what we're doing, but we all have a role to play in this. Now, I like to go hiking, and I know you have mountains close by here, and I'm assuming some of you are hikers. Generally, when I go hiking, we stay on a trail. I'm not one of those people that just goes and runs wild out there and finds a spot. We have a trail that we do, and I've really never been lost hiking, but I know there are people who are a lot more adventurous than I am that, that get stuck somewhere, that, that lose the trail. Even following a trail, sometimes it, you don't know where it goes. Even, kind of embarrassing, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail, where it starts from the Mexican border and goes all the way up to the Canadian border. And uh, it actually starts in my hometown in Campo, right on the Mexican border, the Mexican-American border. So we decided, you know, we're going to start hiking portions of it. And uh, me and my brother and our, our friend Josh, who came part of the way, and the very first section starts in our hometown. And it goes up to the lake where my parents live. And we're on the trail, and we're walking along. About halfway through, we get to a road, and the road kind of breaks up the trail. So we start walking down the road to find the trail, and we can't find the trail. <laughs> and it's really embarrassing because we're about five miles from my house. It's like, wow, we're lost. Um, and I think it took us maybe about 45 minutes to find the trail. But eventually we found it. But, and that was a wide open area, too. There was no trees above us or we, you know, we couldn't see the sun. But as you, can, as you can see, going out in the forest, out in the wilderness, people can get lost. and They don't know the way out. Well, as Christians... There are people who are wandering right around us, and they're like, I don't know the way to Jesus. I don't know the way to God, and we don't, we don't say anything to them. We have a map that shows them the way, but we're not handing it out to them. We're not speaking it to them. We're not checking in with them to say, hey, do you know the way to Jesus Christ? Do you know the way to salvation? This goes for our friends. goes for our neighbors. It goes for our family. Going, starting off with our friends, when I was a teenager, I was baptized when I was 16. I grew up going to church in the Church of Christ. My mom and my, my mom was baptized, and my, my grandparents were Christians. So I, I had a culture growing up in the church, but I wasn't necessarily active in the church. I was there on a Sunday. On Sunday morning, I was there. Wednesdays, no. Sunday afternoons, nope. Maybe after potluck or something, I would stick around. And when I would be with my friends, now I'm not going to say I was a wild person. I, I really wasn't. 
But I didn't necessarily talk about God. And uh, my friends, we talked about everything else but that. And as in my early 20s, I started to get more involved in the church. And when Matt Trent came down into San Diego and started working down there, I started doing Bible studies with him. And maybe in my whole life, I'd maybe done four Bible studies my whole life up to that point. And now I was doing three a week. So I was getting a lot more involved. I was excited. And I invited my friends to the Bible study. I think four of my friends came to the Bible study. And that was really exciting. And one of my friends, actually two of my friends, ended up getting baptized. Mostly because of Matt, of course. Uh, I was just there. <laughs> he did all the talking. But I had a very almost heartbreaking conversation with one of my friends where it just really kind of punches you in the gut. I was talking to my friend, and he had been baptized for a while. And the thing is, we had been friends since seventh grade. And so I've, we've known each other for a long time. And he, he just, we were talking, and one day he said, Andrew how come you never invited me to church before? He's like, we were friends for, I'm trying to do the math here, at least eight, nine years. And it, didn't, it took you nine years to invite me to church. How come you never invited me to church? And I, oh, it's one of those things where it just hits you. And the reason was because his family didn't go to church, but he was always interested in going to church. But no one really invited him. He'd go sometimes here and there. But when I invited him, he was excited. Oh, someone invited me, and I'm going to go. But all those years, I didn't invite him one time. Now, I'm trying to think back on my life. How many people I had contact with, I never invited them to church once. How many coworkers I had, how many schoolmates, I didn't invite them to church once or to a Bible study or even say the word Jesus in front of them. It's very shameful to think about. But now that I'm cognizant of that, we all need to be cognizant that people around us are lost, our neighbors. Do your neighbors know that you go to church? Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? What about even some of our own family? Now, I know that's a very uncomfortable conversation. I would rather talk to a complete stranger about Jesus than someone I'm very close to that I know that has different opinions to me because it can be an awkward conversation. But is it worth having an awkward conversation to win someone's soul? I think it is, if you put it, like, put it in perspective. People are lost, but we know the way out. God gives us people. He gives us people in our lives. He gives us people in the church to lead us away from this darkness into light. In verse 11 of Ephesians 4, Paul says, And he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and cared about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up to every way unto him who is the head unto Christ." Going back to our mindset, that's what we're really talking about today, is our mindset of, are we here to win souls for Christ, or are we just taking up space in the church? Are we actively serving our role in the church? Now, not everyone is going to be the preacher, and God makes that very clear. 
If you read 1 Corinthians, if you read uh, Romans 12, it has a different role for us, and we're going to get to one of those passages. But are we fulfilling a role in the church? Are we doing our part to spread the gospel? Now, I mentioned sometimes we don't even have to be the ones doing the talking, but we should be the ones doing the inviting. I know you have great teachers here that are capable of sharing the gospel with people. We can invite them to church, invite them to a Bible study, or maybe even start the conversation ourselves and say, hey, would you be interested in talking to one of our preachers more about Jesus, the gospel? You might be surprised by their answer. You might be surprised. We have an influence. God expects us to influence those for the good. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Say that said on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I know this. people have said this many times. To bring someone to Christ... We don't have to preach a sermon to them. Live the life as a Christian. Be an example unto them, and they'll see your good works, and they'll glorify Father in heaven. When we do a kind deed for someone, and they say, thank you, we say, it's all for the glory of God. Oh, really? <laughs> Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. We have an influence in this world. Apostle Paul understood this, that he was there to serve other people. In 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I by all means I might save some. Apostle Paul had the right attitude. He says there are people who have Jewish backgrounds, there are people who have maybe a, a, a Greek background or a philosophical background. I can relate to them. I can share them the way. I can point them in the line that they can get to Christ. Everyone here has a unique background that is different than the person sitting next to you. Even your spouse. Even your own family. I have a background that might relate to someone else. I have a sports background. I am a middle child. Whatever it is. Maybe I'll meet someone else that's five foot nine. Hey, I'm five foot nine too. We both can we both can follow Jesus. Whether it's our ethnicity, whether whether it's where we're from, we all have an ability to relate to other people. And that's what Apostle Paul did. He recognized that, well, I have a lot of Ways I can relate to people. I, I said, I've been a weak person. I'm the chief of sinners. Oh, you think you're a bad person? Wait till you hear my story, how bad I was. But God changed me. And God can change 
anyone who comes to them. In order for us to accomplish this, in order for us to have this mindset that we're going to be out there winning souls, and in, in business and marketing, and I've been learning a little bit about marketing myself, and a lot of times we focus on the, the, the losing things. Say, like, well, I, I, I talked to my neighbor, and they rejected my message. So, and that really discouraged me, so I didn't want to talk to my other neighbor. Well, what if Jesus had that same attitude? What if Paul had that same attitude? They wouldn't have got too far in their preaching, would they? No, Jesus said, you know, shake off your sandals and move on to the next town. They're not going to listen to you. I know it's hard to do that, but we have to understand that there are people out there waiting for us to share the message with them. And if someone is not interested we move on to the next person. But people are interested. In order for us to have this, we have to have the mentality, we have to empathize with people. Now, I try to put myself in that situation and kind of going back to my analogy of my friend, how would you feel if one of your best friends knew the way to salvation and they were just watching you live your life, and you had no idea. You didn't know much about the Bible. Of course, you, growing, up, growing up in America, you know a little bit about the Bible and, and about Jesus, maybe just in pop culture. And your friend's over here going to church every Sunday, and he gets baptized. He's, he's trying to be the best Christian he can. He never bothers to talk to you about Jesus. How would you feel? That knowing that he knew these things and didn't share it with you. Would you be upset when you found out? I think I would be. Well, sometimes that's us. We need to realize that there are people who just need to know about God, that just need that little invitation to get their foot in the door to hear about Jesus. We also need earnestness. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Now, I have a lot of plans to do things in the future. And I, I'm, if you're a planner, I'm sure you have a lot of plans. Yeah, I want to I go to this place. I want to travel here. I want to talk to this person. You know, I want to go preach over here. If you're a preacher, you maybe have your list of places you want to go to, maybe even countries that you want to evangelize to. And that's great. That's great to have these plans and these admissions. The reality is the world may end tomorrow. Jesus may return. Our life might be over today. We don't know. So if there's someone that you know that's lost, maybe someone in the church that's wandered away, today after church, before you forget, send them a text. Hey, how are you doing? Send them an email. Call them. Maybe tomorrow, if you're, you have the ability, you can go try to go visit someone. Make a, make a plan. Hey, what are you doing tomorrow night? Do you want to come over for dinner? Do you want to meet for lunch? We cannot wait. We cannot let these opportunities wait. There's one story that the story I do not share, I do not enjoy sharing, but it is important for us to understand in this. There was a a family that I had been talking to, and of course I approached them about doing a Bible study. That's Primarily what I do during the week is do Bible studies with people. So I said, well, um, one of the member, one of the 
people in the marriage, can't think of the name, one of the spouses, one was a member, one was not. Okay, I said it. And so I put it out there, it's like, maybe because I did it with the whole family, but really I was kind of thinking about the one person that wasn't a member. That was kind of my angle. But I put it out there, hey, let's do a family study. And of course, the kids, uh, they were younger, but still they were getting closer to the age where they become members. So I put that out there, and they said, you know, that'd be great. And I was, yes, I'm excited. All right, great. And as a, of course, how these things go, I don't know how it is here, but in, in San Diego, the culture is everyone will say yes, but it's more like a maybe. Oh, yeah, sounds great. When do you want to get together? I'll get back to you. All right? <laughs> oh, I'd love to get together with you. All right, when do you want to get to that? Oh, let me, let me check my schedule. And you never hear back from them, of course. It's just a polite way of saying yes, but I'd rather just tell me no. But that's different. That's a different story. Well, anyways, it was one of those situations where I said, okay, let's do Bible study. Let me get back to you. All right, so a week went by. Um, you know, they didn't get back to me. So next time I saw them, I brought it up again. Hey, you still interested in doing a Bible study? And I think it happened three times. And the third time, they said, you know what? It's really not going to work out with our schedule right now. But you can study with our kids because they're free at this time. Of course, I was disappointed. But I said, well, at least I'm going to study with their kids. So I went to the Bible study with their kids. And, of course, uh, that, was, that was a good thing to do, even though I wanted, really wanted to study with the husband because he wasn't a Christian. And I believe it was about three, four months later, he had a heart attack and died. 49 years old. Never became a Christian. Agreed to the Bible study. Was interested not saying that if he would have studied with me, it would have happened, but never got a chance. And I, I think I go back and replay that. I was like, should I have been more persistent? Should I have tried harder? Of course, I should have. But at the same time, on his side, he didn't take that opportunity. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. If someone you know, someone that you care about is not a Christian... We need to win their souls for Christ and let them, they can be on the side with Christ. Now, I bring this up about effectiveness, and I don't want to stand up here and pretend like I know of all the answers and know how to do things. Everyone has a method that works for them. There's a brother that works with me uh, in El Cajon, Elias Rodriguez. You've probably heard of him. He's Juan Rodriguez's brother. He, I don't want to say it, but He's probably one of the best evangelists we have in the church. I mean, the man's started more churches than a lot of preachers have baptized. He's just an excellent, excellent evangelist, and he's very busy. But if I tried to evangelize like he did, it wouldn't feel sincere because I'm not him. He has his way of doing things, and I have my personality. We have totally different personalities, and even the cultures which he worked, there's different cultures and different aspects. I'm just saying that if we try a method and it doesn't work, the answer is not to give up, but to try another method, to try another angle. If you invite someone to church and say, you're not really interested in coming to church. Okay, are you interested in, in coming to a Bible study? Are you interested in coming to a fellowship night? Are you interested? There's always something else that we can try to get their foot in the door. Or don't even ask them. Just have a conversation with them. What do you think about Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Are you a Christian? 
Sometimes we just get the ball rolling. Don't give up after the first time of failure. That's what winners keep going. God wants us to keep going. The Apostle Paul, he's, he changed his method and his approach to, to find the people to bring them to Christ, to win them. The last thing is we need everyone involved. There's a lot of great people in the church who do a lot of great work. If the church is going to grow, and if it's going to grow exponentially, the reality is everyone needs to be involved. Everyone needs to be doing their part. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Of all the things listed here, is there anyone in this building that cannot perform one of these tasks? Like I said, I don't know everyone here, but I like to think the answer is no. Everyone here can, can do one of these things, to serve, to encourage, to teach, to contribute, to lead, to have mercy. Now, I really like this last one because I have something I struggle with. If someone is really sad... If someone is really hurting and they're grieving, they're in pain, I do my best. But I'm not one to get really emotional and to start crying and to, that's just not me. My wife, on the other hand, if she sees someone crying, she'll start crying. If someone is, she goes right over to them and gives them a hug. You know what? We have different roles. We need people like that who can empathize, who can comfort, who can be merciful. There are people who are, are generous in their, in their money and generous in their time. There are people who are, who are retired, but they're still active, that can visit people in the daytime and, and visit people in the hospital. That Those who are working may not have the time to do that at that time. We all have a role to play. Now, if we're all doing these things, that's where it gets exciting because we'll see the results but going back to the attitude, if we have the attitude that we are defeated, do you think all these things are going to happen? Do you think the church is going to grow? Do you think people are going to walk in this building and say, you know what? These people have the light of Christ. If we're sitting around talking about, well, it's just so hard and I just don't think we're going to make it. I don't think you have the attitude, but I've been places where that is the attitude. You know, you, you're already defeated at that point. We're here to win souls for Christ. God is on our side. I mentioned already this morning that the way of salvation is through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We have to believe that, and we have to accept that people are going to be lost 
unless Christians stand up and say no more. No more. Not in my community. Not in my household. No, we're going to win souls for Christ. We are going to overcome because we have Christ on our side. Jesus already defeated Satan. God has already declared victory. Are we going to join the battle? Are we going to get involved? Are we going to accept our role in the church? Now, maybe we've lived a while and we've been coasting through life. It's not too late to get back engaged, to get back involved. If you're a member of the church, you're not too old to serve Christ. You're not too young. We all have something to contribute. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.